Once again, good to see all of you. If you'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 25, be the first text that we're going to read or longer text that we're going to read. Um, we're going to be looking at the story of Obadiah, the minor prophet Obadiah, and we'll spend some time in that book here in just a moment too, but I want to kind of set that story up. Before we do that, great to be here. I want to take just a moment and thank you all for the week. Uh, we, Lisa and I have had a blast being here and working among you and, and being with you. You guys have so many blessings going your way, and God bless you. Uh, pray for his countenance shine down upon you and the congregation here and the work you're doing. Uh, what a great, great thing you guys have going for you, and, and it's been a pleasure for us to be invited to come and spend some time with you guys. A lot of you, we've been around through the years, and it's great to spend some time with uh, some of you older guys that we've been around through the years with, uh, but we've really enjoyed spending some time with some folks and meeting some new folks and new friends and things like that, and God bless you guys. It just really, it's uh, fantastic to see these young children that are in the crowd does my heart good just to see them running around and, and uh, part of the congregation, part of the work you're doing here. Um, it really is my goal in life to, I'm close to 50 years old, I'm 49, and it does, it, I look forward to 20 years from now and being 70 years old and coming to Amarillo and seeing those young kids be what they're supposed to be in Christ. And what a blessing you guys have and what a job you've got before you and we'll be praying for you and supporting you any way we can too in those efforts. God bless you in that. Uh, to Carrie and Cheryl, thank you guys for putting up with us this week. We've had a blast. A uh, lot of late night visits and uh, thank you for letting me vent occasionally over frustrations that I have at times. Um, but we really had some great conversations, some time to spend together and enjoy you guys and, and appreciate the bed to sleep in and a place to bathe and all that sort of stuff too. You guys have been very gracious to us and plenty to eat. And to all of you, there have been so many of you that have put us around your table this week and have fed us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you. Uh, we really have been fed well, you can tell by looking at me. Um, but it's been a great, a great, great week, and, and we've had a, quite a variety of food. We, we went and held a meeting last year, and everywhere we went, we had Mexican pylon. And I mean, like in the entire week, it almost got funny by the last Saturday because it was just the thing that we had Mexican pylon every day. We didn't do that this week. We had a lot of variety of a lot of different things, and we really, really did enjoy it. Uh, and, and great conversation over those dinners as well. So thank you guys. And, and I don't know what the future holds, and I don't know about you know, our ability to come back in the next few years and that type of thing, or y'all's ability to have us back in the next few years. But I do want you to know we're thinking of you and praying for you. And if you're ever down Houston way, we live on the north side of Houston in Conroe, Texas area. And we'd love to have you come uh, worship with us down there. And if you'd like to come spend the night, our home's open to you too. We're empty nesters. We have a couple of bedrooms free. If all of you come and it's the same night, someone sleeps on the floor. But we do have a couple of places that we'd love to be able to have you in our home. And, and we would be honored to have you. So uh, come down and like to introduce you to some good folks at our congregation as well. But thank you again for the week. Uh, all week long, we've been looking at stories from the Old Testament and how they can enrich our lives today and make some modern application to some of these stories. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And those things that were written aforetime, I, there are several goals I have during the week. One of them is I just want you familiar with the stories, the Old Testament stories. But secondly, I want you to glean the lessons from them. I think we can make application to them where they're beneficial to us. They help us in our Christian walk. And tonight I want you to know the story of Obadiah. 
or about the prophet Obadiah. Obadiah is a minor prophet and it's one chapter. That's all that, and we're going to look at the entire chapter. We're going to read the entire chapter here in just a few moments. But it's one chapter, and I just want you to know the context. And I think there's a message from Obadiah that we can use today as well. But I want to take just a moment and kind of get you in the context of, of the time period and what's taking place and, and why Obadiah is prophesying and why he's given this instruction uh, to God's people. And first of all, I want you to go back in history, and I want to remind you of the fact that Abraham, it was through his promised seed, through Abraham's promised seed that we were going to ultimately have these 12 tribes of Israel or the nation of the Jews. Abraham was known as the father of the faithful and his promised seed was Isaac. Now I recognize the fact that he tried to go out on his own with Hagar and there was Ishmael that was born to him and Ishmael was a wild man and that in and of itself was a whole clan of people. But through his promise seed was Isaac. Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. I'll get out of your way here in just a moment. And Esau was known as Edom, E-D-O-M, Edom. And it was through the Jacobites, or the Israelites, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There were 12 sons of Jacob, became known as the 12 sons of Israel, or the 12 tribes of Israel. We talked about this a little bit this week. The first son was Reuben. The third son was Levi. Fourth son was Judah. Last son, Benjamin. Next to last son, Joseph. And there were others like Gad and Asher and Naphtali and etc., Zebulun, etc. And those 12 sons of Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel, giving you kind of the simplistic version of it. But those 12 tribes of Israel came in and inhabited the land of Israel. Now, in the land of Israel, let's make believe this is the Mediterranean Sea. In the land of Israel, there's the Sea of Galilee, the River Jordan, the Dead Sea. And I want you to picture they came in with that battle of Jericho and they inhabited these lands and they divided it out among those 12 tribes and they inhabited the land of Israel. Now, I've given you a timeline previously, but I want to remind you of it. If we were going to look at the birth of Christ as AD 1, Agno Domini or Domini, meaning year of our Lord, the year Jesus was born, and we're in 2013 A.D., or 2013 years after the year of our Lord. We could have A.D. 33 would be the time of Jesus' death, kind of doing it in a simplistic calendar or a simplistic timeline. Anything before his birth was known as B.C. or before Christ. And we looked at some dates like 605 B.C. That's when Daniel came into um, to, the, to Jerusalem and took, I said Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and took Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego into captivity. We looked at dates like 723 B.C. And that was when Assyria came into Israel to the ten tribes of the north, took them into Assyrian captivity. And uh, we could go all the way back here to Genesis chapter 1 where the flood etc. on that timeline. We could look at a lot of different events that took place. 
What we're looking at here in Obadiah probably happened after 605 and has possibly happened after 587 B.C. And what happened was Nebuchadnezzar came down through into this area and came into Jerusalem and besieged the city and the Israelites fled out of the city and they were trying to get out of there and they headed toward the south. And I want you to notice that to the south there's a couple of names I want you to know. One is Edom, one is Idumea, and the other is Amalek. Okay? And if you look at your map and you go down south out of Israel, uh, out of uh, Jerusalem, etc., you're going to run into the land of the Edomites, also known as the Idumeans, also known as the Amalekites. Out there, those... This Edom, those Edomites here are descendants from Esau. These Esauites became the Edomites. Okay? Now, I want to start you with the story of what happened. Now, Isaac had two sons. They were twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob became the 12 tribes of Israel. The Esauites became the Edomites. Now, go to Genesis 25, if you would. Verse number 24. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old. He was 60 years old when she bare them. And the boys grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage and Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob swear, said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him and sold his birthright unto Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So these twins were born, Esau and Jacob. And they had a conflict with one another. Uh, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob became that promised seed. It was through this promised seed Judah that uh, Jesse and David. And if you keep running the lineage, you'll get to Jesus Christ through the fourth child of Jacob. That's what a lot of what the Old Testament's about is to give us that history or that lineage of Christ. It's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ in the Old Testament. But these two brothers had a conflict with each other. Now, it started off over lentils. It started off over pottage. It started off over something to eat. But then it turned into bigger things. And you remember how ultimately the father was tricked and it turned into a blessing that Jacob got instead of Esau. And Esau was mad. If you keep reading the story there in Genesis, he was so mad at Jacob that he wanted to kill him. And so these brothers that were twins in the womb... Over selling of a birthright and over not getting the blessing from his father was so angry that it started conflict to the point that they were mad at each other and it created generational conflict. 
What I mean by that was we go down years and years and years down to the land of the Edomites and the Edomites are cousins to these people. And the Israelites are now invaded. And you've got Nebuchadnezzar or it could be the second destruction. There's some discussion as to exactly what time frame to put Obadiah in. But it was after they had been besieged. It's after somebody had come into Jerusalem to besiege the city. The Israelites were fleeing the city and they were going down into the land of Edom. Now, I'm going to try to paint a picture for you that's challenging for me to do. But if you could picture, some of you may have gone to Colorado and seen the cliff dwellings of the Native Americans that lived in the cliffs. And there's a gorge down between those things. That's kind of the picture you get of Edom. As the children of Israel are, are rushing down, trying to escape the, their city being besieged, they're trying to get out of that area. They're running down through this gorge area. And there are people, it's the Edomites, they're living up in these cliff dwellings. And what they did was they came and they took hold of their cousins and they stopped them. They stopped them in the way so that they couldn't flee so that they could ultimately be taken into captivity. Okay, Now you get that picture for just a moment. Go to the book of Obadiah. Obadiah verse number 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord that an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye and let us go up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Excuse me, though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. Now, Take the picture for just a moment. Here's the prophecy of Obadiah talking about Edom. And he says, Edom, God is going to destroy you as a people. And the reason, he said, you may be sitting up in the cliffs and you may be sitting up in the clefts of those rocks and you may be sitting up like an eagle and you may be built up with pride and you may think you can't be destroyed, but God's going to destroy you. Your pride is going to come low. You're going to be humbled. You're going to be destroyed. Now look at verse number 5. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? How are the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress." Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. 
Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen as thou hast done. It shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink and they shall swallow down. They shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. They of the south shall possess the Mount of Esau, and they of the plain of the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Seraphad, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord. So we've read the prophecy of, of Obadiah. Obadiah is saying, Edom, you're going to be destroyed. You stood in the way when your brother Jacob, when, when the children of Israel were trying to flee the city and they were coming down through your part of the country, you were stopping them, you were binding them, you were putting them in handcuffs, you were delivering them over to, to the enemy. He said, because you didn't love your brother enough to allow them even to escape their own land in the day of destruction, you're going to be destroyed. Destruction's coming upon you. I want you to get that picture for just a moment. What started off with Jacob and Esau being twins from the same womb ended up with jealousy between brothers over pottage and lentils and selling the birthrights. Got angry with each other because one of them got a blessing and the other one didn't. And they started off with this problem that through the years became generational conflict. If you read about the Battle of the Amalekites... You remember how Saul was told to go utterly destroy the Amalekites. That was the people of God against the Edomites. He was, just, he was try, working and, and working against the enemy of the Lord, which was the Esauites, the Edomites, the Amalekites, same people, the Idumeans. Destruction. And all down throughout history, what started off as twins coming from the same womb, having a problem over pottage and a blessing turned into war, turned into generational conflict, and now Obadiah is prophesying, Edom, you're going to be totally destroyed because you hated them so much that even when they were fleeing from Nebuchadnezzar, even when they were fleeing from Babylon, you're stopping them and turning them over to Babylon. You hated your cousins that much. We sang the song, O angry words, O let them never from the tongue unbridled slip. Do you realize what starts off as angry words sometimes between people can turn into generational conflict? What can start off in a family is somebody just having a conflict with one another turns into generational conflict. I want to tell you Jesus has a plan for that kind of stuff. It's Matthew 18. If you've got a problem with somebody, go solve it between you and him alone. If that doesn't work, you may bring two or three witnesses. If that doesn't work, you bring it for the church. If that doesn't work, let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. I recognize there's a time that a person's a heathen and a publican, but I'm telling you, what we need to be doing is trying to solve problems way back up here before they turn into generational conflict, before it turns into conflict that just goes on and it gets spreads and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that they hated their cousins so much they wanted to see them dying in battle. Unbelievable. 
And yet I've seen some of that stuff even in my own lifetime. In our Gulf Coast area down here, there was an event that took place back in the 50s where some church people were going to church together. And one of them did some contracting work, doing some building work for another person. There was a dispute over $50. That $50 created generational church conflict between congregation to congregation to congregation to congregation over $50. You know what a guy like me says that didn't live in the 50s? Why didn't somebody just pay the 50 bucks? I mean, solve a lot of problem, right? Because that seems so simple. That's not the way it worked. Some congregation over here withdrew from another congregation over here because they didn't respect the withdrawal over the $50 from over here. Somebody else withdrew from them because they didn't honor their $50 withdrawal. And pretty soon we've got generational church conflict because of $50. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with us as people when we do that kind of thing. I want to encourage you. Be careful the words you speak. So we close out this meeting. Be careful as a congregation. You've got a lot of good things going for you as a congregation. The Lord's blessing you in a million ways, but I want to warn you right now, when things are going good, I want to tell you Satan's still working too. Satan is working, and Satan will try to destroy, and the way he'll do it, it'll be through some small little Jacob and Esau issue. It'll be over a blessing and over pottage and over some little thing that turns into a big thing because somebody doesn't handle it the way the Lord wants it handled. I want to encourage you. Don't let stuff turn into bigger things. Solve those problems early. Do it the way the Lord asked you to do it. Go to the person and solve the problem between you and him alone or you and her alone or whatever the situation would be before it turns into generational conflict. We've got a big family. My dad had four boys. My older brother's got nine children. My brother just ahead of me has two children. I've got four children. My younger brother's got three children. We get together for Thanksgiving. It's a get-together. I mean, it's a lot of people. We can fill up a living room, have a good time. But you know, it's because a group of people honor the fact that they like to get together as a family that we get together as a family. I want to tell you, I want to warn you as families, if you start letting little things in your family start to bother you, it can turn into generational conflict where families never see each other again. Be careful is all I'm saying. My mother made some decisions 20 years ago that break my heart, break my heart to this day. But I'm grateful that about five years ago she came back to the church. There's been some reconciliation with our family. I will tell you, my mom and dad went through divorce. I think I told you all that early in this week. But Lisa and I were early married. We had kids. It was the early stages of our kids. Hannah wasn't here yet, but the twins were just born when my mom and dad split up. I don't know all the things that happened, but I will tell you, I grew up in a house that I wouldn't have thought that would have ever happened. I grew up in a house where I'm not saying they were perfect people by any stretch, but I had a mom that loved me and a dad that loved me. I was never sexually abused, emotionally abused, physically abused, all that sort of stuff. We had a good Christian home, one thought. But something got in the way to the point that that home blew up at some point in time. 20 years went by. 20 years went by. And 20 years later, my mom comes back to the church. We've not had a whole lot of relationship during that period of time. But I will tell you, I'm thrilled today that she's sitting in the same pew as my dad and his second wife. Is it awkward at times? You bet it is. Is it strange? Is it weird? You bet it is. 
There's times when I'm in the foyer and I see both of them, my mom and my dad, who I grew up with, who were married to one another. I see them in the foyer of the church house walking toward each other and there is a typical physical urge that comes over my body that says, I may need to go get in the middle of that before they meet each other in the middle of the foyer. But it wasn't that long ago. It's not necessary. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying I feel that way. It wasn't that long ago, though, that my mother lost her brother. He was killed kind of tragically and my mother came to church one Sunday morning and she was broken hearted over the fact that her brother had been killed and my dad who once used to be that guy's brother-in-law my dad stood there and embraced my mother and held her and she cried in his arms 20 something 25 years later after a big blow up in the family my point is forgiveness reconciliation those things are big things and they're they're huge things it's a powerful thing but there's a side of me wants to go, what happened for 20 years? And what I want to encourage you to do is try to solve it before it turns into 20 years of issues. Before it turns into 20 years of generational conflict. I know sometimes we can't control those factors. There were factors in there I couldn't control. If you'd have asked me, I wouldn't have said, oh yeah, I would like for this to happen. <laughs> of course not. I would have done everything in my power to keep it from happening. But couldn't control all those factors. But I am telling you, we waste a lot of time with generational conflict. And it starts off sometimes with pottage. It starts off sometimes with selling a birthright. Sometimes it starts off with getting a blessing or not getting a blessing. It starts off with jealousy and issues like that. All I'm saying is be careful. Make sure you don't step into the middle of that and it's you that's creating that issue. That you've got jealousy to the point it creates problems, to the point that it creates generational problems. And you go 20 and 30, 100 years later, and cousins don't like each other because of what somebody did years ago. Let us be careful as a church that, that we're careful to try to solve issues when they're, when they're infant stage. So that we don't go 20 and 40 and 50 and year, generations later and brethren are sitting, there, uh, sitting around going, why don't we work with those people anymore? And people are going, oh, I don't know, something happened in 1948, we don't remember what it was. Because nobody's around to remember. Be careful because this stuff can turn into generational issues. <laughs> Dedicate yourself to saying... Tell you what, I'm going to solve a problem when it's early in the problem stage. Or maybe I don't even let it be a problem. Maybe I just recognize the fact that there's human frailty. People misspeak. People say things that are the wrong thing to say at times. People don't have ill hearts or ill intentions. And we, we think the best of people rather than thinking the worst of people. And maybe we just keep it from being a problem to begin with. I want to encourage you that. I think there's a lesson from Obadiah. Obadiah is saying, Edom, you're going to be destroyed because you hated your cousins so much that even when they were being attacked from the strange country, you wanted them, you'd rather see them dead than you help them. And I don't want us to ever get to that spot to where we actually don't like people so much we would want to see them destroyed. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with our Christian perspective if that's the case. If ever there's an overarching message that God has given us, it's to love one another. God is love. I'm not saying that accepts every behavior, accepts everything. I'm, that's not my point. But I'm just saying it's an overarching principle. If somebody's in sin, we reach to them in sin out of love. If somebody has an issue or a difficulty, we reach to them out of love. We speak the truth in love, right? Our speech is seasoned with grace. And we solve a lot of problems. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 25 tells evangelists, Timothy told evangelists, he said, the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You know what he tells evangelists and really what he tells all workers of the Lord? Don't spend time striving. Let's learn meekness and gentleness and patience. I'm preaching to myself, guys. Learn meekness, gentleness, patience, if God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Let's don't let little things become huge things. Let's take the message, because destruction's at the end of that. Let's make sure that we can solve those problems at the very beginning. God bless you in your Christian walk. God bless you here in Amarillo, Church of Christ, and the work that you've got, the mission you've got ahead of you, and may God bless you in those efforts. If you've not obeyed a call to the gospel, tonight's the night. Why not tonight? If you've not obeyed a call to the gospel all week long, we've been talking about these things. Do you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You want to repent of your sins, confess His name before men, be buried with Him in baptism, rise and walk in newness of life? You know, the first step to solving a lot of problems is taking on Christ as His answer to those problems and using Him as our mentor and model in the way that we live our life and how we make decisions. Tonight, we're going to ask again, and we're going to sing an invitation song. And you've got an opportunity during that invitation song to make your way to the front, sit down on the front bench. I promise you, your elders are sitting here with arms wide open. They want to help you. They want, they want your life to be a blessed life in Christ. And with open arms, they receive you tonight. Why not tonight? Why not make that decision tonight? You've got an opportunity maybe if you've done that, but somewhere along the way you got sidetracked. Maybe it was because somebody said something or looked a certain way or whatever, and, and it created conflict that got big bitterness set in in your heart. Maybe tonight's the night to release that. Let it go. And let's not turn it into generational conflict. Let's solve the problem. And tonight, with prayer, repentance, all those things, come, whatever your spiritual need may be, why not tonight? Why not solve it tonight? as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.